Broadcasting from the Wella offices, direct from the Atlanta Tech Village, you're listening to The Incubator, the voice of the Atlanta Tech startup scene. The Incubator is a show featuring weekly interviews with Atlanta-based startup founders, influencers, and entrepreneurs, who they are, what drives them, and how they plan to change the world. Today's show is made possible by Wella, helping you on your financial journey every step of the way. And now, here are your hosts, Trisha Whitlock and Todd Schnick. All right. Good morning and welcome back to The Incubator. I'm your host, Todd Schnick. A very exciting day on The Incubator. You heard on in the intro there that uh, uh, usually I'm joined by my original co-host, Trisha Whitlock, but we're thrilled to announce that we have a new co-host joining us. And so say hello to my my new co-host. Her name is Ashley Staggs. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm super excited. Well, I'm excited to have you. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, We're going to have a great first day in in studio. Uh, Lots of amazing, interesting organizations doing some amazing work. Uh, But do me a favor. I don't mean to put you in the spot. uh, But for those listening who who maybe don't know you, uh, take a few quick seconds and just run us through a bit about you and your background. Sure. So uh, I mostly grew up in Atlanta and I've been in the startup scene for probably five years now. Um, Kicked that off with Scout Mob a few years ago and then moved to a ticketing startup. And now I am the director of marketing for Wella. So that's uh, that's kind of my game is the startup game. I love it. It's fun. And Wella is probably the newest startup in terms of stage. And it's such a challenge and it, I'm digging it. Outstanding. Well, I'm digging doing the show with you. We're going to have a lot of fun. So welcome. Thank Thanks you. for doing this with us. All right. Well, let's welcome today's guest. We're joined by David Cawthron. He is the CEO of Nimbox. David, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I uh, appreciate you flying in for, from Austin just to see Ashley and I. So thanks for making that trip. Indeed. All right. So before we get into our conversation around Inbox and all that that implies, take a few quick seconds to inform us a bit about you and your background. Well, um, most of my background centered around um, high-performance computing or large-scale computing. Um, Started with a company back in the late 90s doing blade computers. And so, in essence, we were building giant frames and lots and lots of computers on little cartridges that slid into the front of a a big giant box or refrigerator-style box. And wrote software to orchestrate them. And then um, for a brief moment, we had the most efficient supercomputer in the world on the Intel platform. That's just, you know, geek credibility there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but really what had happened was um, we learned a lot about how to orchestrate and scale and manage workloads um, and manage essentially cloud computing back before there was even a term for that. And we translated that into a smaller form factor and kind of moved us into what Nimbox is, which is literally instead of having refrigerator-sized devices that fill up rooms and rooms, we compacted the technology into a simple one-use server that allows you to build building blocks to expand your workload resources. So in essence, that's what we do, and that's how I got here. Outstanding. So... Talk about the kind of, what's your model customer? Who who are you targeting? What kind of organization is a good fit for you? Well, when we first started, our initial fit was trying to service small to medium industry, meaning companies that are about 100 to 500 folks. And we were trying to make a solution that was extraordinarily easy to use and deploy. So you have a business, you're trying to run the typical business type applications. You may have like Microsoft stuff for email and and SharePoint and that sort of thing. And you may be running either bare metal servers 
which is a pain in the butt to manage. Or you may have something like VMware, which allows you to manage the servers in a much more easy way. Um, but to get there, it takes a lot of uh, architecture, technology, wiring. Um, it's a complex thing. And there's a minimum of scale, meaning usually it's, it's a full rack or go home. Mm -hmm. And so our customers are typically people who want that kind of flexibility and fungibility, but they want a simpler way to deploy it. And they also want to start small. Our typical customers a, a year ago would have been a business that needed a one or two servers worth of infrastructure, but they wanted all the niceties that comes with a larger scale solution. As we move forward, we found a lot more traction in people who were literally leveraging us like a private cloud. So if you can imagine uh, companies that use Amazon Web Services or Rackspace Cloud to deploy their business, they're used to that start small and then add on as you need because you pay as you go in that kind of service. And what we found is many companies have realized that once you've grown to a certain point, it's no longer financially reasonable. Um, it, it's great if you're just doing starting small, but once you've grown past like 20 or 30 instances on Amazon and you have storage along with that, you start scratching your head going, why am I spending thirty or $40,000 a month now when I could just go buy something that may do that? And the problem is there's no easy answer in what you buy. We're trying to provide that simple black box. You throw it in a data center or you throw it in your premise and it provides that Amazon-like ease of use that lets you get your business done and then slowly grow it as your business grows. Okay, so that's what the ideal customer looks like, right? But is there is there ever a case where maybe it's not worth it to leverage public cloud computing? Usually it comes with scale. Mm -hmm. um, we had a recent customer who was spending on the order of, oh, $28,000 a month wow. to service their business. They were looking at the, the growing every single month. They had to add more instances and they had to add more storage. Really, it, it boils down to the customers needing some cheaper CapEx-based solution. And what we did is came in and said, hey, we have this solution and we can easily pick up your workloads off of Amazon and throw it in our solution, drop it down to two servers, mm -hmm. and then put it in a colo facility for about $200 a month. So in essence, they wow. had an ROI in about yeah. six or eight months. Um, and But the important differentiator is, is the ability to keep that style of interaction. You know, they built their solution for Amazon Web Services. And there's a whole raft of, of technobabble I can talk about in regards to DevOps and automated provisioning and all that kind of fun stuff. But the reality is, is there's not a lot of smaller scale solutions in on-premise hardware play that allows you to keep that kind of flexibility. Mm -hmm. I use an analogy a lot. You know, uh, VMware is the number one in this business right now in terms of server virtualization. But VMware is typically taking this, this concept of a rack and a server, which was the traditional way infrastructure was done. And they basically converted it to a single server being a hypervisor. And then the analogy is if a rack is to a server, the VMware hypervisor is to a virtual machine. So all it did was allow the administrator to not have to get up out of their chair and go back in the data center to, to mess with the hardware. They could sit with a mouse and move virtual servers around, copy them, control them, manage them, orchestrate them, and et cetera. What Amazon brought us, actually brought to us by virtue of Google, and originally was a founder of this idea of elastic cloud computing. Amazon brought the ability for someone to write software that can also provision its own resources. A good example of a success in this would be Netflix. Netflix mm -hmm. has leveraged Amazon very, very well so that they wrote their software platform or their, their solution to take advantage of an infrastructure that is software definable, such as Amazon. And then as the tides move around, meaning they just released a new TV show or they need some popular piece of content, they rely on Amazon to allow them to grow their infrastructure on demand to fit that model. And they have the software tuned so well 
that it does this automatically. And when they're done with the burst, they just peel off those instances and they're no longer used. That works well in very large scale. Um, but in that middle band is where it sometimes makes a, lo a lot more sense to own your own infrastructure. And quite simply, what Nimbox does is we provide a hardware platform and a software on this hardware platform that allows you to use that software-defined flexibility, but also make the, the implementation so stupidly simple that you can add bricks as you need to grow, and if you need to take them out, you can pull them off and go post them somewhere else and get use for them in another realm. That application of the cloud ideal to physical hardware is really the meat and potatoes of what we do. And mm -hmm. that allows you to, to scale and be free on-prem, whereas you're not having to take advantage of a, a cloud solution. Well, you just mentioned uh, the Elastic Cloud model. It sounds like that's something that would be really good for startups. Yeah? Absolutely. In fact, you know, in the, in the continuum, startups usually focus on novel ways of designing software. And one of the most novel ways, while well, I say novel, it's really kind of been going on since about 2006, is this concept of writing software so that you let the software be resilient. In the old days of, of enterprise computing, you wanted to buy a server that had either RAID, so you, it would basically protect you against individual disks dying. You wanted to buy a server, not a PC, that had redundant um, power supplies and, and, and various things to make it more reliable as a piece of hardware to make your piece of software work better and be more resilient. What the idea of this elastic cloud computing model is, is, I mean, Bill Baker from Microsoft, a distinguished engineer there, made a very good analogy called pets versus cattle. And in this analogy, he said the traditional way of doing computing was to treat all of your servers like a pet. So like say you have your email server and your email server gets sick. Maybe it's not servicing email very well or it's slow or it's, it's rapidly degrading. You nurse that pet back to health. You go in and have an administrator you know, massage it and, and fix it and, and bring it back like a, you're fixing a car. In essence, that's the way we used to do business. In the Elastic Cloud model, we take individual elements of compute and through the actual software design, make sure that they're all like cattle. In other words, if a cow gets sick or it's no longer producing milk, you retire it and then you go get another cow. In the same vein, if Netflix has certain elements of its solution that get sick, they just hit a button and retire it and then hit another button and a new version of it comes up to replace the old one. So no longer do you need this complex hardware band-aids in order to make your solution work. Got it, all right. David, Ashley and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This is Wes Moss, former host of Atlanta Tech Edge on NBC in Atlanta. I'm here today, though, to talk to you about my new digital financial advisory firm, Wella. Wella is an old English word that means wealth. Several years ago, my team realized there were too many people who needed help with their financial strategy, but couldn't get the help they needed because they didn't reach the high investment minimums of many financial advisory firms. To answer this need, we developed Wella, a digital platform that allows us to help people just like you get free financial advice and tools to better manage their finances. We also offer online investing and the ability to work with your own investment advisor with no minimums. Learn more at yourwella.com. That's Y-O-U-R-W-E-L-A.com. All right. We're back with David Cawthron, CEO of Nimbox. So... I'm going to switch gears here a little bit. Um, you guys are based in Austin. That's correct. But 
you're building a presence in Atlanta, right? I mean, absolutely. So are. kind of talk to me about Austin. Like I think Austin is just the coolest city in the world and I wanted to move there, but this was before I knew anything about tech when I graduated from college and it was such a tech heavy city and it's just really exciting. So talk to me about Austin and then kind of what you guys are trying to do in Atlanta. Sure. Um, so Actually, believe it or not, this company started up in Ann Arbor, Michigan as an incubator. And then we had three guys and we were a bunch of scrappy folks, you know, working late at night trying to pull off something new and interesting. And once we got to the point where it was making sense and we wanted to make this a real company, um, we made a very hard decision to pick up from Ann Arbor and move to Austin. We actually looked at the Bay Area. We looked at a couple other places, but the primary need was to get access to top level technical talent to be able to execute on our vision. And so the first step was moving to Austin. It's it's a very rich area. Um, it's probably at a, a different economic scale than, say, the Bay Area. It's a bit lower cost of living. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly it is such a rich source of, of very capable and very brilliant people in the, in the technical space. We kicked off there. We've grown to about maybe 47 people. What we found was we were getting some great people who were used to working in tech companies and used to, I guess, and this is not to sound, you know, improper, but they were used to uh, coming to work, putting in their time, and and they were very successful in that. And we have a lot of folks that work very hard there. But what we found was we were working very hard at just maintaining a product, sort of like um, we, we built it and then we were trying to maintain it. And we were losing sight of the future technologies. We actually struggle with that a lot. A lot of our technology is based in open source. And open source is a great resource because a lot of people work on it and it gets tested by, by a lot of peer review. It also can be a pain in the butt to work with because if it doesn't work or say the documentation is wrong or someone's changed something, then you have to go up and clean it up yourself if you're trying to turn it into a product. One of the key aspects of starting in Atlanta, there is an even richer technical a bleeding edge here that's growing very rapidly. So there's a lot of young and hungry folks who are trying to make their mark in an entrepreneurial spirit. So the whole point of moving here into the Atlanta Tech Village was to create a kind of entrepreneurial spirit, so to speak, and have a small, tight team to explore these new technologies and to experiment with some new open source options, get their head around it, understand it before we put this into our mainline development. So this is kind of our advanced engineering and architecture group out here. And they kind of operate without having to worry about getting tapped on the shoulder because something is burning up with a customer or something like that. And, And it's actually worked out quite marvelously. Awesome. Well, the funny thing is, is that uh, the audience knows that we record this actually from the Wella offices, but Nimbox is right next door to us. Absolutely. Which is just a complete fluke. Uh, they keep peeking over at us, actually. <laughs> <laughs> are they heckling us? So, but why ATV? Why are you here? What, what, what was the value of uh, planting your flag in this very building? For anyone who's seen this place, it is absolutely a marvelous facility. I mean, you know, having the, the snacks and the, the environment and just oh, it's all about the snacks for well, me it is hey, it's important. I will, yes <laughs> snacks are it important is. because you know the whole from a from a, a business hat perspective you know keeping your your tech people well fed and well caffeinated is one of the prime important pieces amen um, and your marketing people absolutely <laughs> don't forget the marketing people. Uh, you can't they're the they're the front end and the lifeblood she can turn ornery if you forget the marketing people. <laughs> <laughs> but but quite honestly um when we were targeting spaces we were looking for some place to kind of capture that spirit again 
you know, once you've moved out of your, 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 your small office and, and it's a bunch of guys, you know, staying up 24 hours a day and binge coding to the more, you know, flex space and cubicle kind of world, you know, it's, it's, you can become a family and you don't get the spirit from the companies around you. And so going into this kind of hybrid incubator type of space that also offers office spaces is great because you get to interact with other companies. You get that, that spirit and you get new ideas injected in all the time. And, and it's just an impressive accomplishment. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, just for my own edification, and I, I love hearing this from from entrepreneurs. But what were the challenges you faced in the early days? Did you face like were you trying to um, spread the word about this product because it's a high level kind of solution? Um, so talk to me a little bit about what challenges you had in the the beginning. Well, in the beginning, the challenges were just kind of getting our head around how we wanted to shape this thing. We got a bit a stroke of good luck in the sense that when we started this, there was no label for this kind of technology. There was another couple of companies that came out with variations on VMware that literally defined the market for us as we were going along. And we're like, okay, fine. Now they call it hyper-conversion infrastructure. We have a label now. That was the first step in just the development heartaches, just trying to make this work. And the second challenge was we didn't decide to utilize off-the-shelf software. In other words, most of the other people in our space have leveraged the, the, the 100-pound gorilla, which is VMware, and then added on to it. Whereas we took a tact of leveraging open source and creating a turnkey solution based on that. Because if Amazon can use open source as their hypervisor, then commercial folks can as well. And so the challenge has been balancing that against our customers so that they realize that the public cloud world can leverage an open source platform for doing this kind of work, then it is actually proven and usable in an enterprise environment. And the third challenge we've had is, unlike other tech startups who have uh, either B2C or a viral kind of nature to their growth, they can do can do modern marketing techniques and, and get some traction fast. We were building a box and trying to, to pierce into a market that is well-served by large value-added resellers and a, a very complicated sales chain. And so building that out on the front end was a huge challenge for us, Just going from engineering coolness to, wow, we need to figure out how to get this into the market because we can't just go hang a shingle on the internet and mm-hmm. then tweet about it and have people just go in and try it out online. This is a physical thing we have to move. So that's been a very challenging thing for us as well, but we're making some really good strides now. Well, how do you go to market? How do you sell this? Uh, you mentioned you had 47 people on the team. There's a bunch of those salespeople. Walk us through that. Well, yes, a good portion of them are salespeople. In fact, <clears throat> if there's any part of our company that's growing extraordinarily fast right now is that sales front end. And at this point, you know, selling our product is involving direct sales, you know, basically finding companies that have pains and then showing them a better way to solve those problems. And then the next stage in this is leveraging what they call the channel, which is getting into that network of businesses. Their sole purpose is to resell cool technology and, and advise customers as to what helps them solve their problems. Pretty much every business usually has a value-added reseller as their partner to help them select from a number of different technologies to solve their business needs. And so that's our next step is to pierce into that market and essentially tap into the relationships that each one of these channel partners has already forged to move our product. Yeah. That, and see, I think that's awesome because my brief period of time in IT, that was my very first job out of college, was with a value-added reseller. Mm-hmm. 
and we did, and I completely understand where you're coming from because trying to put a unified communication system on a five by seven postcard is not attractive. Exactly. It's just not pretty. So what do you, I mean, that's going to open a pretty big door, I think, right? How are you going to go about finding those channel partners? And are there people, if they're listening, that could potentially contact you to try to pilot that program? Absolutely. I mean, they're welcome to come to our website and leave a contact information. I believe we do have a channel section in there to sign up as a partner. But how do we open that door? Well, frankly, you know, first we have to prove ourselves because most of these channel partners already have their existing product lines, which they're well versed on and know how to sell. Part of that is us educating them. So we have to essentially sit down with them and, and sit down on the deals with them and explore how our solution can augment or or even potentially replace an existing solution the customer is looking at. So that's the most difficult piece of this is is scale. So that's why I say that's mm-hmm. the most, the, if there's any headcount growth in our company right now, and it's all on that side of the mm-hmm. house because yeah. we have to go national with this. And again, I wish sometimes we had a more uh, simple software-based thing that someone can just jump into a website and make their decision. In reality, we have to do a lot of work on the ground to introduce this product to, to new new customers. Are you recruiting now, both in Atlanta and in Austin? Um, we're, we're actually beginning our recruiting phase for, for sales. Um, actually, it started about two weeks ago. So oh, okay. that is one of our big pushes right now is to increase our sales force and, and do regional mappings. That, that the major focus on recruiting is just salespeople? What right about, now, that's what about correct. about any, any uh, tech people? Uh, right now, well, and, and we do have some recs open for tech people here in Atlanta, um, and we're working on some QA positions and things like that, but we are always interested in looking at people who are in our space, or at least in the open source space, to leverage. So I'm curious, how do you, a lot of times it's all, people focus so much on the cloud that it you can get the misconception that hardware is completely obsolete. So how do you sell this idea of, you know, why is it better for it to be a, a hyper-converged situation? Well, quite honestly, it boils down to trust and it boils down to what you believe is the security of your data. That's the first step, especially in the enterprise world. You know, there's still a lot more regulatory compliance steps in the way or it's just a sheer, you know, I, I distrust of having sensitive information commingled, just floating around, floating around yeah. you know, and your only guarantee is your SLA or your agreement with that organization. And so that's the first piece. The second piece is the reason why cloud has been adopted so much by the corporate world is because it makes financial sense in some games to move things to the cloud to be able to to control costs, but they only do it in certain parts of their business. So they kind of hybrid between the things they keep in-house and things they run in the cloud. In essence, the issue though is that the the infrastructure to build it yourself and to own it thus far has been extraordinarily complex. And that's the key to this hyper-converged ideal is that if you make the hardware architecture so simple that it doesn't require a lot of thinking ahead of time, and more specifically, if you make it granular so that instead of buying a a single rack and then you have to have a storage box in there and that storage box has to plug into a fiber channel network which then has to go have a separate fiber plugged into every single server and then you have to have a networking switch in there and you have to have a firewall and you have to have a load balancing system then you have to have some kind of software to orchestrate it all or not and have multiple so-called panes of glass or multiple user interfaces it quickly becomes an issue in terms of just making it work once you get it going yes it's it's, it's very reliable and it gets the job done for you once you have that say that service is 100 customers We'll just use that as a rough number. Mm. What happens when you hit that 101st customer? You have to buy another rack. Yep. And that's kind of where this really hits home economically is that you can have just the right amount of hardware and easily add just one more step 
to service that growth versus having to think in large scale or over-provision in the beginning to think, okay, how much am I going to grow? That's, the, that's always the question. How well is this going to perform? Do I need to think I'm going to grow this big by this time? So I need to build it now because if I don't, it'll be a real big pain mm-hmm. to move forward in the future. This takes away that and it gives you that cloud-like quality. What's the long-term relationship with Nimbox? I mean, you sell them the box, you go install the box, turn it on, do you high-five them and walk away? And what, is there an ongoing relationship in terms of updating the technology, being sure that their needs are being met, uh, keeping tabs on security? I mean, is, is it a long-term relationship? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it, when someone comes into this ecosystem, in essence, we form a relationship with them. And one of the nice benefits of our solution is because we're open-source-based, you know, we don't have any additional licenses. You don't have to buy VMware licenses, you don't have to buy licenses for the software-defined networking portions. There's no extra uplift on storage technologies and things like that. It just provides all these services to you. Thusly, we keep them updated for you. So, you know, we get to draw on the open source side of things. So as the open source reacts to, say, security issues, and we get access to that, we qualify it, we productize it, and then we allow that as an update to the customer. So if there's somebody listening right now and they're a startup and they're saying, this sounds super cool, but I don't know if this is something I need to be doing right now, what, what's kind of the checklist? How do you, when does it make sense for you to run your own infrastructure? Well, it's quite, quite simple. For that company I was talking about, you know, they were spending roughly twenty-six dollars to $28,000 a month for infrastructure. Our MSRP for our base level box comes in at about twenty-five dollars mm-hmm. And essentially, when they did the math, they can either pay twenty-five dollars a month or they can pay twenty-five dollars and have a box or actually two. So two months worth of service essentially was replaced by two bits of our resource, two bits of our Nimbox wow. technology. And so it's that back to that game is like, do you, you keep paying as you go, which makes a lot of sense, or you pay for some infrastructure. And if you need to expand, you still have that ability to add that one more box to cope. Right. So really, if, if you're spending a ton of money, go ahead and see if there's a better option out there that, exactly. that will be more efficient. Exactly. Yeah. You know, a lot of these companies look to things like OpenStack as a way to build their own infrastructure. And it's a really brilliant piece of work. And it's open source. And there's lots of good support out there for it. It gives you that cloud-like quality of, of software-based and software-defined technology, but it doesn't give you the same scale as hyperconverged. So again, it's great. It lets you keep that Amazon-like mentality, but it's still one rack is the minimum or go home. Got so it. these are like the happiest sales reps ever. They make people's <laughs> days when they tell them this benefit. <laughs> this is how much money we can save you. Well, they're recruiting. I'm, think, I'm considering it. Right, right. Because <laughs> uh, it would be, uh, sounds like it would be an easy sell. <laughs> David, let's shift and talk about you a bit. Um, uh, and correct me if I get my facts wrong here, but I believe you said pre-show that, you know, going from CTO to CEO, is that in fact what you did? And it's a different kind of job, different kind of mindset, different kind of responsibilities. It's the classic case of the lady who likes to bake, who opens a bakery and fails because it's running a (laughs) business now as opposed to baking. Did you have similar challenges? Is it an ongoing challenge? I mean, talk to us about that transition. It's it's an ongoing challenge. I mean, it's common in this space. It is is something where it is not quite as fun as it used to be. (laughs) I mean, I would love to be sitting here in the Atlanta Tech Village and working on cool new technologies. And, but the reality is, is you know, this is a company that, that has a lot of promise and the seat needed to be filled and I filled it. And 
I don't sleep much anymore. Right, and unfortunately, it's not for the, the sake of being excited about working on some new bit of distributed storage technology or some new bit of software-defined networking technology. It's a question of now I've got to make sure the finances are all there. I've got to make sure that the business is, is paying for leases and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I willingly take it on because I believe we have a lot of promise. What's keeping you up at night? What are you dreaming about? What do you see as the, the new wave, the next wave of Nimbox? My goal is to create a type of software-defined infrastructure, or a type of hybrid coverage infrastructure. And it's not necessarily a box like we make today. My goal is, is the software we're creating today, which is called Mesh OS, will be something that can live on almost any platform meaning that it doesn't necessarily have to be the box we sell you today. It can be run on a box you may already have. The reason why we use an appliance form factor now is, frankly, it's a lot easier, just like Apple does such a good job with their devices because it's one piece of hardware, you know, versus Microsoft who has to target every single potential computer. You know, it's easier for us to target our own hardware right now. But the goal is to create a software solution that allows all of these benefits on existing hardware or to transform existing solutions. And then the, the long-term goal is to use this in a, as a way to sort of make workloads uh, fungible and, and transient and local to where the things need to, can happen, need to happen. Like imagine, if you will, you have a cell phone tower, and that cell phone tower has server resources in it that can be used much like Amazon. Um, in our new kind of Internet of Things future, every single thing we have is throwing off data, and it's, it's going to get... A, unmanageable after a while, um, especially if people keep thinking in this centralized ideal, I need a data center here, it needs to be X large, and I need to make sure the pipes going into it are big enough to take all the data coming in. Well, as you move and push these things out to the edge, then you can have useful work done in the edge that makes the customers happy, but you have to have some sort of standard. You have to have some sort of a, a, a platform that anyone can write to so that you're not just saying, I need to have an instance on Amazon to service my video streaming for Netflix, but I want to have an instance that goes right to the, the point of presence for my cable modem or right to the cell phone tower and can service that in the field. And then when it's no longer needed, it goes away and makes room for someone else. David, I hate to say it, we're running low on time, but we have one piece of unfinished business. I think you're aware that Wello makes the incubator possible, and we're recording here from their offices. Uh, so it is time for the Wello question of the week, which is, what is the best piece of financial advice you have ever received? A good friend of mine and one of my investor buddies basically said, there's only two ways you get rich in this world. You either inherit it, or you get into real estate. <laughs> <laughs> Guess I have to get into real estate. Uh, both of that, that counts for that's both you and I. All right. Well, David, we are now out of time. Before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you? Should they have questions? And where can they learn more about Nimbox? Well, the easiest way is to go to nimbox.com. That's N-I-M-B-O-X-X.com. And starting from there, you can get a wealth of information about us. And if you want to contact us through that website, there is a contact form available. That's probably the easiest way to, to find us. All right. Sounds good. David Cothran, the CEO of Nimbox. Great to have you. Thanks for stopping by and good Thanks luck for to having you here me. in Atlanta. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, that wraps this episode of The Incubator. On behalf of our guest, David Cawthorn, my co-host, Ashley Staggs, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you next week on The Incubator. You've been listening to The Incubator, recorded from the Wella offices, direct from the Atlanta Tech Village. This broadcast is a partnership between the Intrepid Now Media Network and Hypopotamus and made possible by Wella helping you on your financial journey every step of the way. The Incubator is directed by Andrea Risk and produced by Floyd Fischel. 
You can find The Incubator on iTunes. And leaving a rating and review on iTunes will be appreciated by all. Again, you've been listening to The Incubator. The show will return next week. We'll see you then.